Hi, Ravina here. Just to say that this episode will be led by myself and Kimmy. And as ever, what we say in this and subsequent podcasts does not reflect the views of the University of Law. They are our own personal opinions. So today we have a very special guest. Nisha Shukla, who is a principal associate at the international law firm Gowling WLG. Nisha is part of the firm's hotel sector group and specialises in real estate work concerning hotels, industrial units, office lettings and development sites, as well as being the co-chair of Embrace, Gowling's diversity network. Thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with us, Nisha. Thank you. Thank you, Kimmy. And thank you, Ravina. It's very nice to be here today. And thank you for the lovely introduction. So in this podcast, we want to get to know Nisha a bit better and her experiences in law as a BAME woman, as well as Gowling's Diversity Action Plan. So first, we just wanted to ask, how did you get into law and specifically Gowling? It's a really interesting question and an interesting process to go through, actually. So I have had the opportunity of reflecting over um, my career to date and um, some of the decisions I've made. Usually, I initially intended to emigrate to New Zealand. Um, my older sibling, she's significantly older, emigrated um, many years before, before I went to university. Um, and it was a real aspiration because having visited New Zealand, it was a you know, fantastic place, um, very different from England. I actually ran out of money whilst I was travelling, so I ended up working for a law firm in New Zealand, and it was totally different, a lot more laid back, and also, I think, more energetic. Um, a smaller firm meant you had earlier responsibility, and you had more access to clients, a lot of the clients were very outdoorsy types, as you can imagine, the entrepreneurs, small businesses, which is why partly why I ended up in property actually, because you got to view development sites all over New Zealand. So you, therefore you got to travel. And I obviously love traveling. So any excuse to get down to the South Island, I was based in Auckland, but to get to travel around New Zealand and actually be paid for it. So I kind of thought actually, this is a great way to save money and, and to do that. Um, but when I came back, I was sort of about, after spending a year and a half away, I kind of thought, actually, I'm not ready to leave London. And whilst I had been applying for training contracts whilst I was away, they weren't very targeted. They were, I mean, obviously, my mind was torn in between settling in New Zealand, um, which to me, I thought was a done deal um, until it actually came to doing the, the application for immigration. I kind of thought, oh, actually, I have two younger siblings in London and I'm, you know, I'm sort of early 20s. I don't really want to make this big commitment. Um, so I kind of probably half-heartedly applied for training contracts during that time, both in uh, London and obviously in New Zealand. But I think my application probably fell down. I mean, whilst I got some interest, um, I don't think I was fully committed. And I think that's really important when you are researching a firm, researching and obviously having two locations which couldn't be further apart. So actually, I then decided I wasn't going to stay in New Zealand or not immediately. I'd qualify in London. And then if, if I came back, then I'd have to qualify again. So then I returned to London, obviously applied for law firms, but my focus of so the firms I'd applied for previously were medium-sized firms, and there was a lot more competition. I think on reflection, not having the 
the practice, the support, I suppose, um, the peer group, it was very competitive. So I think people weren't often sharing um, sort of interview techniques or what their experiences were with firms. So I would say if I was to compare what the trainee intakes do or have done and the vacation schemes, what they do now, so what I did, it was, you know, there was no system in place. It wasn't very organised and it wasn't my strongest sort of time of my career in terms of the application. I found it very daunting. Um, so I ended up training in a smaller firm, which was a commercial law practice, where I, I got excellent um, work experience. It was very hands-on and I really enjoyed that, having worked in a firm in New Zealand, which was very hands-on, a lot more client contact. And there was a lot more entrusted in you which I really welcomed and a lot more challenges. There was less spoon feeding. So I think that sometimes you were thrown in at the deep end, but that did mean that you sort of learned more and quickly and you became a lot more confident. Um, and during that time, I um, came across a firm in Reading who I was on the other side of as a trainee and they offered me a job on qualification. So halfway through my training contract and it was, it was a tough decision. So I kind of thought I really enjoyed where I was and the people I was training with. So I didn't really want to let them down, but they held my job open for 12 months. And then I joined as an NQ rather than transferring my training contract, which, you know, with hindsight, I could have moved into a, a bigger firm sooner, but I think there was a nervousness as to whether I would enjoy it as a trainee there, because obviously they haven't got to know me and, you know, you kind of thrown in the deep end and also the breadth of the um, areas I was, you know the seats that I um, was expecting to do again this is a more corporate firm and at that stage I didn't find you know I would never have imagined working at Gowlings or CMS um, that I later moved on to do um, but actually on qualification that was a real springboard for me and I think the the confidence I'd gained from a smaller firm meant that I was able to flourish and then I kind of thought well actually moving back to London working for the city firms isn't as daunting a step. You sort of grow with confidence and real estate, which is the area I ended up qualifying in, is because it's non-contentious, it's very friendly. You, you meet similar people on the other side and you get to know, you, you get a better idea of what a firm is like, I think, from working with people on these transactions. And I've been really lucky. So I've worked with my current boss, you know, possibly 20 years ago actually I had heard of her and actually thought she was great to work with on on a transaction and it was actually for that reason I applied to Gowlings and my, my gut instinct is every every career um, step I've taken um, so after CMS I went in-house for five years and again it's been that gut feeling where you you sort of really enjoy your interview you enjoy your work that's the other thing so I've really been lucky and every place I've been I've really enjoyed working with the clients whether it's in-house and I, I ne at one point never thought I'd go back into private practice um, but actually found after having my daughter that actually private practice meant you're better supported there's a bigger team it's often in-house practices where you're a real estate lawyer you are one of you know the whole legal team um, or, or very small teams and a lot of the work and the you know the responsibility falls on you so you don't really have the junior or senior structures as you do in in private practice um so 
that's when I ended up at Gowling's actually and, and, and it has been not that I've been deliberately looking for those moves that's that's the thing I think I you know some of it is fate some of it's you know fortuitous some of it is actually I, I want to change and so working in Reading and um, being out there I kind of wanted to come back to London so it was a natural um, in my personal life there were natural milestones so they've kind of coincided with those and yes I've been at Gowling's for over six and a half years and I've really really enjoyed it and uh, really enjoying being the co-chair of Embrace so that's been for the last three years so it's kind of really kept me interested in my role sort of brings a different um, string to my bow. Yeah that's so interesting especially the New Zealand aspects like you've had such an interesting career progression and I suppose that leads me quite nicely into the second question how have you felt being an Asian woman in the legal sphere and I suppose you could mention from being in a smaller farm to in-house and then eventually into a big city farm yeah I mean that's a really good question if I was honest when I was applying for contracts and at the very beginning of my career I tried to blend in and subconsciously uh, didn't want to highlight any cultural differences so um, for instance you know somebody had said to me oh you, your English is very good you speak really well and I kind of would you know pat myself on the back thinking oh I, I've kind of I do speak other languages I, I speak Gujarati at home um, you know so I'm, I'm very proud of that in fact but Actually, um, it wasn't, a, I was a paralegal at British Gas and somebody had read on my CV, this is before doing my training contracts, after I came back from New Zealand, that I um, spoke Gujarati and I was actually asked to speak Gujarati on a conference call with the, you know, Gujarat Gas Company. And I kind of thought, actually, you know, oh, I don't think I can do it. It's sort of, it's one of those awkward things that you actually sort of, you, yes, I've put it on my CV unknowingly, I didn't remember it being there, but then you're kind of put on the spot, but then you're also sort of shy about actually being able to use those expertise. So it was the first instance of where I was aware of being obviously um, Asian, different, uh, predominantly white um, sort of legal team. Um, and I think when I moved in house, so skipping on a few years, when I moved in house, I found that wasn't the case. So a lot of our clients internally to the business uh, at very senior levels were black and Asian, um, more Asian, if I was honest, um, than, than black. But there wasn't the sort of the feeling that you were a minority. And if you look at statistically in terms of the population of Great Britain, you know, we're not a minority, you know, since the 50s, 60s, when my parents have come over and then Subsequent to that, you know, there are other nationalities which form smaller groups than we do. The label minority is sort of, you know, I suppose in the legal profession, we are not as represented. You know, there is a poor representation. I didn't notice it so much when I was working within a business because there are other disciplines such as finance, such as IT, whether it's um, sort of marketing, you know, other facets of the business where there was better representation. And even though the legal team per se may not be representative, um, you kind of felt that you had other people that you could go to. So if issues came up or if you felt uncomfortable, you know, with a particular um, project or, you know, whoever was managing the project, you, you sort of had other people to go to. 
coming to Gowlings, I mean, Gowlings, again, um, it could be better represented, if I was honest. We have noticed uh, a vast improvement in statistically that those candidates who are drawn to the company and who are applying now. But that has been a concerted effort on behalf of the early talent team and also more involvement from the network and also lawyers across the firm who really want to not showcase, but showcase that the firm um, does want diversity, is really looking to, to improve its statistics because currently that they aren't very um, they aren't great. And also our retention rate, you know, we're very mindful as to why people leave. Do they, uh, do they leave for bigger firms and opportunities? Obviously, there's a distinction between somebody looking to move their career on, um, and it may be that the career prospect at, right at the moment at that time at Gowlings isn't there for them. You know, they want the, the jump to the, the bigger city firms, for example, um, or they go in-house or, or they leave law. So there are various reasons. In the last few years, as a, as a parent, I think I've, I've kind of re realized the importance of being authentic at work um, and and my daughter in terms of her identity because there have been conversations when she was very small where she'll say she's not Indian and and it's interesting from her perspective and her perspective is that she's born in in, in Britain and she's very much British she enjoys British food and she li likes Indian food but that's because her parents are Indian and and it's been very interesting as she's grown up and and I think important that she understands heritage. So the last few years of becoming a parent, I kind of, it's been more important on me to, to sort of educate her about her heritage. And, and then that's where it sort of got me to think about the firm and people would be more productive if they were able to, you know, there wasn't that feeling of you're, you're sort of keeping something behind uh, and not being your true self at work. I don't think my cultural background, I mean, I'm not aware of it having held me back, but I am aware of, you know, my parents have drilled into me since I was very young that you have to work harder um, in order to stand out, to get over this, this cultural barrier in order to blend in that, that you need to have better exam grades or you need to work harder or you need to be more gracious. That's the other thing, not be so pushy and um sort of opinionated so kind of you know that deference uh and I think that is a a cultural you know something that's handed down from that generation and hopefully that will change when there's more of a level playing field yeah that's really interesting I can relate to that I think when I was younger I used to focus on what my dad said and he grew up in the UK and always wanted me to blend in or be better in various ways but then my mum grew up in India and she always said oh go and take your Indian food and share it with your classmates and I never did because I was so embarrassed um but yeah thinking about the word fame um some people see it as problematic but the University of Law and Gowling still use the term we just wanted to know what are your thoughts on the term fame yeah that's um a, a, it's a very good question and actually we have a call next week so um as part of the network we have uh, regular let's talk about calls and we were, we were talking about the the race equality report which was recently published in march um as a network we have been over the last year if not longer agonizing over the acronym BAME. We, we don't like it and in our business plan we've actually said this year that we we don't want to use it anymore and we would like to 
um, see how the business can stop using it altogether. So obviously we're a network and then we, there are various facets. There's, there's marketing in terms of um, pitches, internal comms, external comms. So there are various layers and in order to be consistent, we kind of have to give it proper thought. Uh, but as a network ourselves, we, we find that there isn't really uh, an alternative out there which is being used. It's either kind of being dropped altogether um, or people are, are stating sort of Black, Asian, South Asian, you know, then you've got the East Asian, South Asian. So you've got other kind of quandaries there as well. But what we've what we've decided is we're going to talk about the, the Race Equality Act in a call to get more feedback and, and then to open it out and, and to get more input from across the business because obviously it affects more of us and, and we have a call um, next week to, to talk about that and to um, come up with an action plan really as to how we can um, make changes across the business. We also recognise that in terms of minority ethnics again it's not consistent it's not acceptable to say that and what you need to consider is that what might affect one subclass or one community say take Asian for example we've got obviously um, an office in China Singapore India Pakistan you know and what issues might affect one of those communities or you know sets of people within the firm may not be the same for others in lumping everyone together it's kind of not very helpful if that makes sense in terms of analyzing statistics working together as to um, how we can help those um, communities progress within the profession um, but I'm, I, I mean I'd be interesting if you've heard of other acronyms being used she mentioned obviously the um, College of Law and, and, and Gowlings but have you come across any other alternatives being used out there well I don't know I think we had this debate about the word BAME but personally I don't like the word BAME I do think that every single group has its own narrative and it's really hard to clump everyone together but like you said I can't think of a better alternative I don't know Ravina can you because I don't I don't like BAME but I think it's kind of the best out of a bad bunch. Yes, we mm. looked at alternatives as part of our role as BAME advocates, and there were things like global majority, but that doesn't capture the fact that within the UK, we're not really seen as a majority. We had racial minorities, um, minoritized groups, but that was too passive. And yeah, it was really difficult. And also I, one thing I like about BAME is it does give some solidarity among people um, of color or people who aren't white British which it's harder to get with other terms. So it really is tricky. And yeah, we, we tend to rail against BAME, but we don't know how to improve on it. No, and the term minority as well, it sort of it has negative connotations, I suppose, is the other thing. I mean, I suppose factually, we are a minority in the business, but, you know, the same token, you know, if you look at the population, if you look at London and look at Birmingham, for example, very cosmopolitan, um, so yes, no, I agree. Um, but um, hopefully, as I say, the network has has literally, you know, we have a business plan every April, May, and we've we've um, issued our thoughts on it, and our thoughts are to to stop using it per se uh, in terms of any communications that the network then um, is responsible for. 
um, and to use it. But, but, but you know, it's one of those things. It's sort of until one firm comes up with the solution, I think. Um, otherwise, you are listing separate categories and, and then you don't want to exclude one. Um, but it's a real, yeah, interesting question. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. It's quite difficult. But I think um, just leading on from that, I know at Gowling you have various different networks. You have an LGBT um, network called Open House and you also have um, Thrive. Um, do you think you could explain a bit more about these networks and how they interact with Embrace and what kind mm -hmm. of work and events you hold? Um, yes, um, so Open House is our LGBT sort of network. Um, Thrive is our gender network. It originated uh, as a women's network, but then it, it, it's inclusive, so it's on gender issues. And then we also have a disability network, um, Enable. Um, so we've um, held a number of joint events. So the, the idea is to, to collaborate as networks. I mean, obviously diversity inclusion includes all, all, all those sets. And in terms of um, what we do is we act, we're actively encouraged as networks to sort of join forces because there is intersectionality. Um, so recently, uh, a few months ago, we had a let's talk about race and the LGBT community where we had external speakers from two charities who were black gay um, men who, who, who had come to speak, speak to us about their experiences in, in the workplace and also um, in school life, um, you know, in, in education. Um, and we had uh, a couple of colleagues from, from within the firm as well, speaking about their experiences. Um, and I, I think the, the idea being that all the networks are all collectively um, trying to uphold the firm's values. So the, one of the firm's values is that we all bring something different. Um, but then there's also the value of power of teamwork. So that's very much encouraged. Um, so we're all encouraged to um, work together to, to, to create common solutions and initiatives uh, where possible. Um, we have um, an enable and embrace joint event, joint event coming up. Uh, it's on a slightly different topic of um, the, the menopause or mission menopause. Um, <clears throat> Uh, which is probably a, a subject which is sort of not really spoken about uh, within the Black and Asian communities. I, I know for one, um, you know, growing up uh, sort of sort of periods and menopause and things like that weren't really spoken about. They were sort of very um, shunned subjects or, you know, uncomfortable subjects. And I think, um, you know, a lot of communities. I, I know uh, my fellow co-chair Taja, who who has um, African and Jamaican heritage. Um, she she agrees as well. In the black communities, it isn't something that is sort of it's a very uncomfortable topic. Um, so the firm uh, so enable the disability network has um, run very successful menopause cafes, and it's been noted that they're very under attended by our um, Black and Asian colleagues, um, which was very interesting, actually. And then thinking, uh, you know, maybe a, a number of years ahead, but you kind of think, actually, I actually don't know much about this subject from my own parents, you know, I kind of did try and bring it up with my mother and she sort of, um, yeah, dismissed it as you know, it's just a fact of life. 
Then it's, it's a bit like having, you know, having children, I think, you know, those sort of subjects which are actually, there's a book for it, or I'm sure you can Google it, or, you know, there's sort of, um, yeah, there's sort of the embarrassment factor. But at the same time, it's that generation thing. I, I, I think it's very common in Black and Asian communities. Um, so what we're trying to do is, is an education piece. Um, so what we do is run monthly bite-sized sessions, which are aimed at being educational, informal. Um, it could be an opportunity to discuss a topic which might not be discussed uh, ordinarily. Um, so uh, yeah, they've been really well attended. Uh, and we found that there's that there is a lot of interest there, whether you're supporting a partner through, you know, the menopause, for example, or whether you've got a parent who's going through that. And um, there's a lot more interest than you would realise, I think. Um, so we, we have that coming up next month. Um, but definitely, yes, as um, we, we have network meetings as well every quarter. So um, as I say, one of the values is the power of teamwork. So rather than reinvent the wheel, I think we've been able to successfully work together on, on initiative. Oh, great, thank you. Um, I suppose just to wrap up for the last question, we wanted to know what's one key thing that you hope to achieve from the racial equality plan that Gowling has implemented? And also if you could weave um, aspects of learnings from the Black Lives Matter movement into this. Uh, yes, no, it's a good question. I, I'd actually highlighted three recommendations. Um, the first would be recommendation uh, 24, which is the uh, discussion we've had about the term BAME. So that's been the top of our agenda and coincidentally, obviously it's in the report as one of the recommendations. Um, the other one um, was recommendation, uh, the, the first one actually, which was challenge racist and discriminatory actions. Now we have uh, an inclusion allies program, which is a central DNI initiative, where we we basically ask colleagues or allies uh, of Black and Asian colleagues to sign up and declare that they are an ally. So you know they're signing up for more than um, just I'm you know a friend of a Black Nation colleague. But if if they were to see racism or if they were to um, witness it, you know happening. That they would take positive steps. Now it depends if you're a team leader or if you're a you know partner or a colleague. It depends. There are various ways in which you might do that, but you would be prepared to call out that behaviour um, or to assist the person who's been um, not well abused. I suppose is, is better, there's no better word for it. Um, so it's it's a positive step. So it's not a passive role. Um, and we've had a huge take up of that across the business. And that's something that was launched, as I say, the end of last year. And the other recommendation was the advance in fairness um, recommendation, which was number eight. And that's to create a level playing field. Um, so in terms of um, the work we've done in response to the Black Lives Matter movement is to launch our Black Lives Matter action plan. And there we have run a external mentoring program. So that was run um, last year, November time, before the deadline for applications. Um, and that was with two law networks, so the Black Men in Law and the Black Women in Law Networks, where we wanted to assist people in their applications. So it was a multitude, in, in a multitude of ways. So it's, it's more mentoring, so it's smaller workshops where we kind of ask the networks 
how can we help you? Like which stage of the application? Is it the actual writing of the application or is it the interview process? Or is it the um, sort of gaming um, stage? And so depending on the needs, we, we sort of paired up uh, the, you know, we ran small workshops with three to four sort of mentees with a couple of the mentors. Um, and it's basically to help where help might not be available at home or from your peer group. Um, and the other take from the Black Lives Matter uh, sort of action plan in response to the Black Lives Matter movement is that we've um, partnered with Birmingham University uh, and the Gowling Charitable Trust, which is a trust set up by the partners, uh, who the partners donate towards it, um, has set up a bursary programme, the Black Talent in Law Bursary Scheme, which is three students, so three Black students are eligible for financial support in their second and third years at university and also have access to mentoring and work placements at the firm. So we're hoping that will, you know, that will start in September. So we're going through the sort of recruitment process for that uh, right now. And those students will obviously benefit from that in September. So it's not just a monetary um, sort of donation. It's, uh, you know, we really want to help these individuals um, who are selected um, to, gain sort of more from from the firm as to what we can offer so in terms of mentoring whether it's um and there's obviously no ties to the firm if they were to um decide to seek a training contract elsewhere that's completely fine um so that that's not the agenda at all but it's to, to sort of help them um obviously work experience is very hard to come by that's the other thing so you'll, you'll probably find that you know that's quite a commodity um but um, in relation to the, to the Black Lives Matter movement generally, we've held monthly calls initially to talk about the movement, to talk about the firm, to talk about how people feel. Um, and those conversations have continued um, throughout the last year. So we, we, as I say, the race equality report will be the next sort of bigger call. Um, and, you know, in some ways, I'm really pleased that this has happened, that the, the catalyst has been, you know, uh, the tragic death of George Floyd. So it's, it's sad that it's come to that, to trigger the catalyst. But I think, you know, the legal sector, really, I think everyone uh, can, can see the tangible difference that's happened in the last year. Um, whereas previously, I think, you know, there wasn't as much action. There was a lot more talk and um, people saying that they're going to do this. But I, I, I think um, I've seen, you know, in, on LinkedIn and various other firms doing, you know, actually taking proactive steps uh, to improve representation, So, uh, which can only be a good thing. Yeah, I think um, it, it is sad that it's come to this, but hopefully in the next few years, we'll see real change. Um, you know, in the trainee intake, generally firms as a whole. So it is quite exciting as well. Um, so I think that's all the questions we have time for today. Thank you so much, Nisha. This has been so insightful and helpful. And hopefully this will really help people going into practice very soon. So thank you very much. It's been fantastic.